I'm going to go ahead and put that introduction slide up there. And notice kind of the highlighted uh, terms that I have there. Uh, there's going to be a definition, there's going to be a concept, and there's going to be a commitment. So as we take a look at Luke 14, this uh, 14th chapter this morning, Jesus is going to reveal that in those words. He's going to talk about uh, a definition of, so they understand what a disciple is. He's going to talk about a concept, what that means, and then a commitment that they should make uh, in being one of his disciples. Now, I want to mention, uh, on Wednesday evening, we have been studying from the book of Judges. And uh, our study of Judges is really what was the motivation for this particular lesson. Because we've been in Judges for a little while now, and we recall back from the beginning that as Joshua led them into the land, and at the close of the book of Joshua, Joshua kind of asked them for a commitment. And he even kind of challenges them and says, you won't be able to to follow God. You won't be able to keep His commands. And they say, oh yeah, 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 we will. (laughs) And so Joshua challenges them again and they say, no, we will follow the Lord. And in Joshua, the 24th chapter, in verse 23, Joshua tells them, put away the foreign gods from among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And then in verse 24, the people respond and they say to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And so, as we have studied from the book of Judges, they make a good beginning. And there's some conquests that take place, but shortly thereafter, they begin to compromise on following, uh, following after God's words. And now we're a little further along in the book of Judges, and it's kind of turning into chaos. And so as we've talked about Judges, we say there's conquest, there's compromise, and then there's chaos. And that's kind of the part of the book that we're into now. I believe one of the reasons why it goes that way is because... At first, they understood what it meant to be a child of God. They kind of had that definition in mind. But then they slowly kind of forgot what that meant. And then in forgetting what that meant, they sort of gave up on the concept of how they should be following God. And they were to be God's people and he was establishing his kingdom. And then as they moved further and further away from understanding and remembering the definition and the concept, pretty soon it just becomes chaotic. And so as we take a look at Luke the 14th chapter this morning, I want to point out in these words that Jesus speaks to the multitudes at this time. He's going to help them to define what it means to be a disciple. And then he's going to put forth a concept so that they can grasp what he desires from them and the commitment that he is is asking for them. In verse 25, Luke the 14th chapter in verse 25, it says that at that time there were great multitudes that were following after him. Jesus understands, recognizes, a lot of folks are following 
but not everyone understands what it means to be a disciple of His. And so they need, I'm going to give you this illustration in just a moment. They need a definition. They need to understand a concept and they need to understand a commitment. So I'm going to give you this illustration to help us make this application this morning. Here in the United States, we have certain areas that are referred to as wilderness areas out in Wyoming. Federal land set aside Bridger Wilderness Area. Bridger Wilderness Area. Definition of a wilderness is just uncontrolled, untamed land. Concept, this is land, set aside, left alone, untouched, by man, the way God is given. <laughs> it's just nature <laughs> taking place. The commitment is to keep it that way. So it's Bridger Wilderness Area. Uncontrolled, untamed land. <laughs> in its natural state, set aside, and we want to preserve it that way. Keep it that way. Now you can go visit the Bridger Wilderness area. And people do, every year. But you have to keep this in mind. If you want to go visit this wilderness area, and if you're going to stay for two or three days or maybe longer, and if you think that during that period of time you may need some shelter... Bring it with you. <laughs> Bring your tent if you think you're going to need some shelter. During that two or three days or however long you're going to stay there, if you think you're going to need something to eat, bring it with you. <laughs> if during that period of time, you think being there for two or three days, you may need to go to the bathroom. Bring your supplies <laughs> and then find a bush because <laughs> this is wilderness area. Seems like folks would understand that. But yet at the same time, every year, the Parks Department receives cards, comments, complaints. And some of them have suggestions for this wilderness area. And they say things like, why don't you pave the trails? <laughs> or they may say things like, they've received these comments, why don't you put in like a ski lift, a chair lift, so that we can ride to the tops of these mountains and enjoy the views. Some have even suggested, why don't we have like McDonald's? A fast food so that people can come and visit and they'll have some place to go get something to eat. And it's kind of like the definition has escaped them. The concept has escaped them. And the commitment to preserve a wilderness area has escaped them. So you need to understand the definition. You need to understand the concept. And you need to understand the commitment to keep it 
the way that it is. So in Luke the 14th chapter, Jesus is going to help define discipleship so that they will understand what it means to follow after Him. Luke the 14th chapter. I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version this morning. I think the wording here kind of helps us in understanding what Jesus is saying. First of all, Luke the 14th chapter. In verse 25, it says, Now large crowds were traveling with him. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Think about that for just a moment. They're following after Jesus. Large crowds. And then he stops. And he turns to them. And he says. Whoever follows me. If they don't hate their father. And their mother. Their wife. Their children. Their brothers. Their sisters. And if they don't take up their cross. You can't be my disciple. What do you think those folks were thinking when he said that? What did he say? He said, <laughs> you need to hate your father and your mother and your brothers and sisters and even your wife and your own children. Or you can't be his disciple. What's that mean? And so verse 27 he says, and if you don't take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. So when we look at that statement, first of all, it kind of seems like it contradicts other statements that are made in Scripture. Now I know some of these folks may have not been as familiar with religious teachings as others. But some of them were. And some of them had to be thinking, now wait a minute. In the Ten Commandments and the Fifth Commandment, Moses said to honor your father and your mother. And now he says to hate them. And even nowadays, a casual reader of the Scriptures, including when we have the New Testament, we might look at that and say, now wait a minute, Paul wrote in Ephesians the 5th chapter, husbands are to love their wives. And yet Jesus is saying that they're supposed to hate them. And then in the 6th chapter, he says the parents are supposed to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That doesn't sound to me like parents are supposed to hate them. And all of this evidence kind of points towards loving them. And yet Jesus says to hate them. So how are we supposed to understand this? 
Well, one of the things we need to come to understand is Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever lived, used various methods and means of teaching. One of the ways in which he sometimes taught, he would use metaphors. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about his disciples, he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. In other words, someone following after me is going to be like salt. Salt's a preservative. So I understand a little bit of something about being a disciple that somehow they're going to preserve. And that they are to be the light of the world and light illuminates, dispels darkness so a person who is a disciple is going to somehow serve as light. And that's one of the ways in which Jesus taught. But there was another way in which Jesus taught sometimes and he was used just like similes. Drawing kind of a contrast towards something so you can come to understand the point that he was making. In Luke, the 13th chapter, he's talking about a local political official. <laughs> he's talking about Herod. And he says, go tell that fox, Herod. And so you come to understand something about Herod by that language that he uses. Go tell that fox. Crafty sort of sly, cunning. Foxes can also be destructive. You go tell him <laughs> that fox. I understand it. But sometimes he uses hyperbole. Also from the Sermon on the Mount in 7th chapter, Jesus is talking about trying to see yourself or helping a brother to see Himself or someone else. And Jesus says, first take the plank. And that language there means kind of like a large board. And that's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. First take that plank out of your own eye. And then you will see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so Jesus, on this particular occasion, is using sort of hyperbole, like an exaggeration. But the word that he uses there for hate also means to love less. And so Jesus is wanting them to understand. You're going to be a disciple of mine. He stops, turns, tells them, you're going to be a disciple of mine. Then I'm telling you up front. You've got to love Father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, those closest relationships in your life, you've got to love me more than what you love them. So we might think, okay. So you have to ask, so why is Jesus using this sort of Pointed, poignant teaching to get that point across. Because he wants them to understand what's coming. You know, it's kind of like those folks that want to go village at the wilderness area. <laughs> oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> Let's go off in the wilderness for a week. <laughs> and then they get out there and they're saying, Where's McDonald's? <laughs> 
wait a minute, where are we going to sleep? And so Jesus is saying, I want you to love them less. But you've got to understand what's going to be coming. So definition, let's get this straight. A disciple has got to love me more than anybody else. Including yourself. There's an old phrase that's been around for a long time that kind of helps us to understand our relationship between us and God. And it goes something like this. God is easy to please, but he's hard to satisfy. It's kind of what Jesus is wanting to see. It's nice that you're here. I'm glad you're following along. That's pleasing. But I'm not satisfied. And that's what they're going to have to come to understand. So Jesus knew that most in that crowd didn't really have their spiritual priorities straight. And so he's starting to give them a definition of what a disciple is all about. See, as you read through the gospel accounts, you'll see Jesus perform these miracles and crowds begin to multiply and begin to grow. And they hear about these miracles and some just want to come see these miracles and some want to come and be benefited by these miracles. They're there for the miracles. Get the point? And then Jesus fed thousands on different occasions. And some came for the food. (laughs) You can get a free meal. And so some came for that reason. And Jesus knew that. And then some were there for political reasons. I think he's the king. We're going to overthrow Rome and get rid of them. So they're showing up for political reasons. And so they think... He can be a benefit to us. And so that's the reason why they they show up. But they didn't really understand the true definition and concept of being a disciple in discipleship. Same thing happens today. People kind of lose sight of the true definition of being a disciple. And what discipleship's all about. And sometimes they don't truly understand the church and what the church is all about. Luke, the 19th chapter, in verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the reason why he came to be a savior. That was the mission that he was on. That's what he was interested in. 
He didn't come for political reasons. <laughs> he didn't come for just merely the purpose of feeding people. He didn't come just for the mere purpose of performing miracles. And yet sometimes men get kind of confused about that. Some thought miracles were kind of entertaining. And that drew a crowd. Today, sometimes men get to thinking, if we provide a little entertainment, that'll draw a crowd. And so churches, churches do that. Sometimes churches get to thinking, you know, if we provide food, that'll draw a crowd. And so they do that. Jesus tells them in John the 6th chapter, the reason why you're following after me is for the loaves and the fishes. You're here for the wrong reason. <laughs> and sometimes men, religious, get that confused. Sometimes churches turn pulpits into political platforms. It's not the work of the church provide political campaigns or funds and all those kinds of things. So Luke 19 says, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the purpose for which he came. That's why he was here. That's why the church is on mission with him. We want to understand what being a disciple is all about and discipleship and the church and what the mission is and therefore understand what the work is. So the first point, Jesus wants them to understand. A disciple must love him more. Put him First, and we always keep that in mind. The secondly, the concept, verse 28 through 30. Luke 14, beginning at verse 28. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, listen to what he is saying. He has just talked about being a disciple, loving him more. Then father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, all of that. And now he sort of shifts gears and starts talking about building a tower. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying... This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Love him more than anybody else, including yourself. And now I want you to think about building and thinking about the cost. 
And can you finish? Or will you begin and not be able to finish and then be ridiculed? So Jesus wants them to think about that. If you start, I want you to stay with it. Because if you don't finish, that's not a good thing. That's of no benefit. Just to start is not enough. Denominational preacher, well-known, often quoted from back years ago, he said it like this, using an illustration from baseball to help us understand following Jesus and staying with it. He said, you know, if a player comes to bat and he gets a hit and he runs to first, then he runs to second, and then he runs to third, and then he just stops. He said that adds no more to the score than if he had just struck out to begin with. A lot of truth to that. So Jesus wants us finished. And so if you're going to be a disciple of mine, I want you to think about if you start, are you going to finish? Are you going to continue to build? So we think about that and we make the practical application of that, right? So, a person obeys the gospel, baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Now they're in the game. And so they start to attend church, worship, on a regular basis. They're on first base. It's kind of the way it was when I obeyed the gospel a lot of years ago. Obeyed the gospel, started attending on a regular base. I thought I was home. I was just on first base. <laughs> then somebody pulled me aside and had a little talk with me about that. You're just on first. You haven't even made second base yet. <laughs> and so we start to think about, like we're talking in Second Peter. Peter says, you're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Paul talks about edifying one another. And then you begin to think, well, maybe there's more obligation to being a Christian than just showing up and attending worship. Maybe there's other things God is expecting of me. Maybe He's wanting me to build on that. And so I start to make a little progress. So maybe I get to second base. And I'm growing a little, becoming a little more active and I start to think, I'm pretty comfortable right here at second base. <laughs> I can live here at second base. <laughs> and the Lord says, no, that's not the goal. And once again, I had an older fellow pull me aside. And he said to me, you ever thought about teaching? 
I was like, no. He said, you ever thought about preaching? No. <laughs> well, you ought to think about it. And then you begin to think about how does the church get preachers, teachers, elders, deacons? And you think, well, all right, maybe I need to get off second base. <laughs> I think you see my point. And he wants us to continue to grow. He wants us to continue to build. But sometimes we can kind of get kind of comfortable. And we don't really finish building. Romans 8, chapter, verse 29, right? For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. If that's the goal, let me ask you, are you home? Have you finished building? Can you say, well, I have been conformed to the image of Christ in every way. And so I'm just done. But Paul says in Philippians, the third chapter, I press toward the goal, the prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm continuing to press, continuing to strive, continuing to try to grow. So all the days of our life, we continue to strive, to grow, to build. So in verse 28 through 30, Jesus said, I want you to count the cost. What's it going to take to get there? So now then, is father or mother going to get in the way? Is brother or sister going to get in the way? Is your wife or your children going to get in the way? Are you going to get in the way of building the tower? Becoming what God wants you to become. Can you see that? So now, I want you to think about being a disciple of mine and building. And I want you to think about the cost. Because sometimes we just get kind of to a point and we get comfortable. And it can happen a lot with Christians. It can happen a lot with older Christians. We're studying the book of Judges, right? So now we've decided we're going to go back and study the book of Joshua. Remember Joshua? Remember Moses? Remember Caleb? Remember two of the spies that Moses sent out of the twelve to spy out the land and two of them come back with a good report and said, we can take that land. Ten of them said, no, we can't. There's giants there. But two of them said, oh, yeah, we can. Who were the two? Joshua and Caleb. 
What happened to those others? They perished before they ever entered that land, didn't they? But Joshua and Caleb were there with Moses that entire time. And when Moses died, who took over? Joshua took over. And he led them into that land. And as they conquered that land, began to take control of that land, there was a certain section in this mountain where they needed to drive out the enemies. And somebody stepped up and said, Give me that mountain. You remember who that was? That was Caleb. He said, I'm 85 years old. 85. Give me that mountain. But see, sometimes in America, you get to 65. And you retire, right? <laughs> That's the American way, isn't it? But we don't read that in the scriptures. There's no retirement plan for serving the Lord, is what I'm saying. And so we don't get just to a point where it's okay, I've done my part, and now we just coast type of thing. I want you to build the tower. I want you to think about what it's going to cost. And I want you to complete it. Stay with it. And you know when you're done? God will tell you when you're done. <laughs> now you're done. <laughs> you're done with life. Then you're done. Until then, <laughs> you keep building. I want you to build that tower. And I want you to think about what it's going to cost you. It might cost you your retirement. I want you to think about that. And then thirdly, the commitment. In verse 31 through 33, he says, Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. So Jesus saying to the multitude, you're going to be my disciple? you got to put me first. That's before everyone, including yourself. You're going to be my disciple? I want you to build. And I want you to stay with it. And I want you to think about what it's going to cost you. But now, I want you to think about being a disciple. And there are these two kings. One of the kings has about 10,000 soldiers. The other one is way mightier. He has 20,000 soldiers. So what do you think 
would be the logical thing to do. And Jesus wants them to think, which one of these kings are you? And you are wanting to be my disciple. I'm a king. You're a king. Which one's the mightier? Is it you? Or is it me? And what would be the reasonable thing to do? Well, in that day and time, under that scenario... If a king were to realize the situation that he was in, he would then send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. And if they would willingly submit to those terms of peace, then oftentimes what would happen is they would be extended grace. I will spare your life because you have decided to bow the knee to me. And so therefore you will be spared. Surrender. That's what I want you to do. Give up all your possessions. And sometimes when we read that, and he says, give up all your possessions, we think about money, material things, all that kind of thing. But Jesus is saying, all your possessions. All of them. So backing up to the beginning. I want you to give up your relationships. In the sense of, I got to be the priority. I want you to give up your life. In the sense of, you surrender it to me. And so whether it's relationships, whether it's your life, whether it is your material possessions, it all now falls under my control. I want you to surrender. Christianity is a paradox. And sometimes we have to kind of try and wrap our minds around it. You're set free by becoming a slave. You gain life by dying. You win by giving in. You conquer when you surrender. That's what Jesus wants you to see. He's not making the point that as the king he wants to crush us. He's making the point that he wants to save us. And the way he can do that is if you give in. If you surrender. So he wants them to understand the definition. And he wants them to understand the concept. And he wants them to make a commitment. And he wants them to stay with it. 
So verse 34. He says, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is fit for neither the soil nor for the manure pile. They throw it away. Let anyone with ears hear and listen. You know what Jesus is saying? Here's the terms. Here's the definition. Here's the concept. Here's the commitment that I'm asking for if you're going to be a disciple of mine. But if you're a disciple of mine, you're like salt. And in that day and time, salt was highly valued. Salt was used for a preservative. Salt was also sometimes used for pay. Soldiers sometimes received salt as payment because it was so useful, so valuable. And so Jesus is saying, (laughs) you are valued, but you have to maintain your saltiness. And if salt loses its flavor, it's saltiness. He goes, then there goes the value. Then it's not good for anything except to be thrown out. So Jesus wants them to keep that in mind. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, you got to love me more than anybody else, including yourself. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, I want you to think about it and what it might cost because I want you to build. And then I want you to remember, I want you to surrender to me because that's the way you win. And you'll be valued, but you've got to maintain yourself. To remain pure. To remain useful. So he wants us to remember the definition. He wants us to remember the concept. He wants us to remember the commitment. Count the cost. Build the tower. Remain pure. For subject to invitation this morning, we want to extend that at this time. Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do you need to do that? Do you need to surrender to Him this very day? If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, have you given up on the definition? Have you given up on the concept? Have you given up on the commitment? Do you need to come back and make it right? If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.